0: Greetings and welcome back to Thinking It Through. I'm your host, Greg Jarvis. This is a podcast put out by Village Church East that deals with cultural changes and tries to look at them all through the mind of Christ. I have a question for you today, and here it is. Have you ever felt manipulated to do something? (laughs) Has anyone ever tried to manipulate you to do something? What lengths did they go to? Hey, listen, has anyone ever gone to this extreme? Anyone ever gone to the point of trying to manipulate you with a phrase, Hey, listen, you should do this because Jesus would do this. (laughs) That's an extreme, isn't it? I watched a newscast a while ago. The newscasters, I think, sometimes confuse themselves as theologians. They wax eloquently and bring so often Jesus into the conversation to give it a little bit extra oomph. On this particular day, the newscaster was talking with somebody else about an event that had just happened involving his take on a news event that he was covering. The news anchor clearly did not appreciate the way that the story went down. So he invited a group, a panel on his show and got their take on it. The whole panel ended up agreeing with the newscaster's side of the story. As the conversation with the panel progressed, the news anchor inserted himself just a little bit too much into the conversation and it no longer became a news story. Now it was clearly personal to him. The newscaster finally had enough discussion and proclaimed boldly at one point, they should stop and they should behave differently because that's what Jesus would do. Do you have any idea how amazingly manipulative that phrase is? Basically, I can attach my favorite cause or passion to just about anything I want. And if I insert that phrase, it gives my cause and my passion a little bit more oomph. And because I'm banking that people like Jesus, I can even bring him onto my side of the conversation. I can use Jesus to make my point. I can shut down further dialogue or discussion by bringing in Jesus' name. And who's going to argue with that? Has anyone ever tried to use that phrase to manipulate a conversation with you? Is it really possible, by the way, to know what Jesus would do? What cause he would support? What conversations he would engage in? What opinion he would back? Now, I know our immediate response as followers of Jesus when you hear that question from me is, yes, I can know what Jesus would do. God can communicate that truth to me in my heart. I can know this because Jesus captures my thoughts. I bought a WWJD bracelet for that very purpose. Well, if you have a WWJD bracelet, then you know that acronym stands for What Would Jesus Do? This is a movement, actually, that began in 1989 at Calvary Reformed Church in Holland, Michigan. A group of young people were studying a hundred-year-old book called In His Steps, a great book, by the way. They wanted to recreate in their group a hunger for God by asking what would Jesus do in every circumstance, everyday situations. Their intent was very admirable. They wanted to put the mind of Christ in every decision they made. So they introduced the phrase, and we all bought the bracelets. But can we really know what Jesus would do in every circumstance, every situation? Let's say I'm late for a meeting with somebody who needs my help. I've promised them my time, and I've said I'll meet them somewhere. I pass a guy who has a flat tire on the side of the road. Now, would Jesus stand up the person waiting for him or and, and help the guy out who has a flat tire? Or would he say that person who has a flat tire can handle it? they got a cell phone. They look like they're, they're not really in desperate need, and somebody will come along and help them. What would Jesus do? Would he stop and help? Or would he go on to his meeting and not stand his buddy up? How about if my church is supporting a ministry? I've committed to help out financially every month, but my daughter just had a car crash. She's in the hospital and my medical bills are piling up. What do I do? What would Jesus do? She needs my financial help, but I've promised my financial help to go to this cause. I can't afford to do both. What would Jesus do? Now, I don't mean you should put away your bracelet. It's a great reminder that we need to continue to struggle with this question. But culture today, Christ followers and non-Christ followers, non-followers of Jesus, have grabbed a hold of this phrase and attached it to validate everything that gets them activated. And in that, these changing issues in our world today simply don't reflect what Jesus was dealing with in his world. Like, here's, here's some questions I have for you. Would Jesus smoke marijuana? I know. I I just made you hit the gas pedal a little harder there, right? Would Jesus march with BLM? Would Jesus put solar panels on his house? Would Jesus buy clothing he thought was made by children in sweatshops? Would Jesus own a gun? Would Jesus kiss a girl on a date? Would Jesus go to a pro-gay church? There was no church in Jesus' day, by the way. Would Jesus be Democrat or Republican? Well, there was no voting in Jesus' day. So what would Jesus do? What exactly would Jesus do in these circumstances? Can we honestly know what he would do? Shouldn't we be careful about what we attach Jesus' name to at all? I have very close friends. Two years ago, these friends mocked people who were smoking marijuana, saying that it was medicinal for them. They would say, two years ago, that's not what Jesus would do. Now those same friends are taking marijuana for medicinal or recreational purposes. (laughs) In a recent poll, 70% of Americans believe smoking marijuana is not a sin today. Only 20% believe that the Bible says it's wrong. So here's the question. Now that marijuana is legal across most states, did Jesus change his mind on this or did we? Was this wrong for a follower of Jesus five years ago, but it's okay now? Or were we just quick to pass judgment on this a while ago, but now we're more educated on its benefits? Listen, these are tough issues. But when we confidently attach Jesus' name to something, we better be sure about what we're claiming Jesus would or would not do. Do you know the Pharisees used this exact same thing to try and trap Jesus? This same methodology. But they weren't using Jesus' name. They were using God's name. They would use the Old Testament to get to the same place. They would come up to Jesus and say, hey, listen, what would God do in this circumstance? We think God would do this. What would you do in this circumstance? They tried to trap him with these questions all the time. In Matthew 22, they tried to trap him on taxes. Verse 16, they come to him, they butter him up. Listen to these words. It's kind of funny. Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully. (laughs) they they didn't believe that for a minute but they're trying to butter him up and you do not care about anyone's opinion for you are not swayed by appearances can you hear it Uh, in other words you're only interested in doing what god would do nothing gets you off course but there's something that we have to do as people who are occupied by rome we don't agree with doing and here's what it is verse 17 tell us then what do you think is it lawful to pay taxes to caesar or not what they're saying is, would God pay taxes to a pagan king or not? What they were saying was they have these, this money and they have to give it to Rome. That Rome had killed, stolen their land, raped their women, burned their homesteads. God entrusts us with the strength and, and, and the ability to make money. He entrusts it to us. He wants us to be good stewards. Should we give Rome the money God gives to us? In the Old Testament, taxes were given to the temple or the tabernacle, and it was distributed to help those in need, to support priests who who weren't able to work. There was no foreign government that they had to support, so the Old Testament didn't say a whole lot of this. It just said, because taxes were taken for separate purpose altogether. So their question to Jesus trying to trap him was, should we take God's money money, meant to support those in need in our nation and the ability of our nation to thrive? And should we give it to a rotten, foreign, pagan, idol-worshiping entity run by a Caesar who literally thinks he's God? What would God do? And then Jesus answers in verse 18, aware of their malice, Jesus said, why do you put me to the test, you hypocrites? He sees right through them. He knows they're pulling what would God do test on him so they, so they could trap him, so they could make him sound inconsistent. So he asked for a coin in verse 19. Show me a coin for the tax, he says, and they brought him a denarius. And then when they gave him this coin, he looks at the picture on it and he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said in verse 21, Caesar's. And then he said to them, therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. You know what he's saying? We lose it in translation. What he's saying is, who owns this money? And they said, the one whose picture is on it, Caesar. And then he said, who owns your heart? The one you're devoted to in the depths of your being. Give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Jesus always goes to the heart of the matter. Jesus answered to the greatest commandment. What is It It is love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. The heart of the matter is is the key. And the two repetitive phrases that Jesus used constantly in his ministry are a great place to to land for us. What would Jesus do? Well, what he would do is what he constantly said. And he constantly said these two phrases, haven't you read? And truly I say to you, do you know what we take from those two phrases? Jesus always points to God's word, not our emotions about a subject. Jesus always goes directly to the heart of the matter, not the cause of the day. We have a tendency to go right to our emotions. You shouldn't do blank because Jesus wouldn't do that. You should do blank because Jesus would do that. Jesus counters our run to the seat of emotions. By giving us a more solid foundation, he begins and ends with the word of God. The Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 to 7, this is the longest single message we have from Jesus. He constantly refers to the law and the prophets. When you hear law and prophets from Jesus, think Old Testament. The religious rulers of the day had twisted God's word into something that benefited them. Jesus was using his sermon to get to the heart of the matter. He said at the end of this Sermon on the Mount, there were two people building houses. The houses that they built are the like the lives that we build. A person built his life, his house, on the sand. And when the storms came, it destroyed the house. It couldn't withstand the storms. But a wise person built his house, his life, on a firm foundation, a rock. The storms came and the house stood fast. And then he says this, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The bottom line is Jesus has given us words to live by, and they are found in the Bible. Jesus himself said, humans shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. This is why Jesus is referred to in the Bible as the word of God. He doesn't leave us without an answer to what would Jesus do. His advice would always be stick to the firm foundation, stand in God's word, build your life on it, because that is what Jesus would do. What can we know what Jesus would do for sure? Well, his truths are stated in the Bible, and his character is displayed in the Bible. And the bottom line is, we should think long and hard about what cause or mission gets us cranked up before we try to attach Jesus' name to anything to try and manipulate others to jump on board with us. Is it wrong to ask the question, what would Jesus do? Absolutely not. But before you answer that question, be sure your own preferences aren't attached to the answer be careful what you confidently say Jesus would or would not do. Truth be told, this is dangerously close to breaking the third command. In the Ten Commandments, the third one says, don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. We typically say that's like swearing, using God's name as a swear word. It's not only that. It's attaching God's name to your favorite cause to give it more oomph. It's using God's name to elevate a cause, a mission, a personal agenda, or to manipulate someone else to do something you want them to do. My advice is play it safe. The next time somebody looks to put you in your place with a that's what Jesus would do situation phrase. Do exactly what Jesus did do. Start your answer with haven't you read or God's word says. Go to the unchanging word of God. Everything you need is already there. 2 Timothy 3:16 and 17 says all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness that the man or the woman of God may be complete equipped for every good work. God's word is all we need. I'd love to see a newscaster stop dead in their tracks the next time they pull the that's what Jesus would do mantra. I'd love to see a person on their panel just stop and say, you know what? Let's find out and pull out a Bible and read directly from God's word. Everything we need to know is in there to equip us for every good work. You'd be surprised at how it communicates. The Bible communicates to every changing culture. You know what I just figured out? I do know what Jesus would do. I just figured it out. I think Jesus would always start his answers with, haven't you read? Or, as it is written, and so should we. Every person should be able to give an answer for the hope that is within him, and the Bible is given to us for that very purpose. God doesn't hide what he wants us to do. It's just that sometimes we don't prefer to do it all that much. What if there's a gray area? Just let it be, stick with the truth. God's revealed word doesn't need our help to make it any better than it already is. It's been great dissecting this phrase with you, life travelers. If you've enjoyed this, you can visit us online at uh, villasherchees.org. Make sure the next time you hear, that's what Jesus would do. Take a moment to find out if it's true. Go straight to the source. And remember, Jesus always allowed lots of grace to fill the conversations. And so should we. I hope that you'll join me again the next time we spend time thinking it through. Until then, we'll see you next time.